Hello, listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Being a Bad Martha on the 34 Circe Salon podcast, Make Matriarchy Great Again. Just a little uh, plea, request, um, gentle reminder, if you have a moment, to rate and comment on this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. It helps us get the podcast in front of more eyes so that we can bring more listeners into the fold. Thanks again and enjoy the episode. Hello, hello. Welcome, welcome to the 34 Circe pod, Salon podcast, Make Matriarchy Great Again. Today we have another episode of Being a Bad Martha that I'm very excited to share with you. Uh, today we're going to be talking about some of the issues that can happen to our lady parts, to our internal lady parts. Uh, specifically, we're talking about fibroids and PCOS. Um, to conditions that happen to women with more frequency than we hear about and which are largely misunderstood, misdiagnosed, and mistreated by our misogynist medical profession. So I have a couple of fabulous women here with me today, um, Lauren and Julie, and they have uh, generously donated their time to talk about uh, their personal experiences with this. So, uh, ladies, I'm going to let you introduce yourselves. Um, tell us, you know, just a little bit about yourself, and um, and uh, then we'll move on to talking specifically about um, those conditions. So, Lauren, you want to start us off? Sure. Um, so my name is Lauren Torres. Um, I am a mechanical engineer and I am also a shamanic healer and teacher in the Chicagoland area. Uh, you might not be surprised to find out I'm a Gemini <laughs> because a lot of people uh, go, oh, you're an engineer and a shamanic healer. How does, <laughs> right. how does that happen? <laughs> And um, so I spend a lot of time doing self-aware thinking and philosophizing, which is why I love the show, because I really like how you guys go deeper with things. And then, of course, I did have some experience with fibroids, which I think is a very important thing for people to hear about, because uh, I found out there were a lot of women that had them, but, but we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it much. Right. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Like so many things about our lady bits. We don't talk about it much. Julie, how about you? Yeah, so I um, am an assistant in TV. I've really done a little bit of everything in entertainment. Uh, I've worked the Oscars a couple times, a couple movie premieres. I attempted the WGA when all the agents got fired. Um, and yeah, I'm, a, I'm currently an office PA on an NBC comedy. Um, I moved out to LA about three years ago and... Have really just enjoyed like the whole gym and exercise scene. It's a really mm -hmm. great place to get involved in that and 
started doing Krav Maga about two years ago. Oh, very yeah. cool. So that's been a lot of fun. Great full body workout. And yes. I feel like I can take a jog at 10 o'clock at night if I want to now. So right. that's, that's been great. Um, I Yeah, I was diagnosed with PCOS when I was 18, despite the fact that I had been showing symptoms ever since I got my first period. And it's not something that was ever taught to us in health class. And it's something that has very little research. And even if someone does get diagnosed, they often get very dismissed about it. So I, yeah. I definitely talk about it a lot and try to spread awareness about it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so then let's dive right in. Let's talk about PCOS. So PCOS stands for polycystic ovary syndrome or ovarian syndrome. And it's a hormonal disorder. Uh, they say common among women in reproductive age. Uh, the prevalence, I the re the reading that I did said somewhere between um, five to fourteen percent um, of women of reproductive age, and uh, that's a lot of women. That's a lot of women. But yep. like a lot of um, these. Uh, you know, uh, fibroids, endometriosis, PCOS, and similar um, uh, disorders that have to do with our uterus and our ovaries, um, it often goes for quite some time being misdiagnosed or undiagnosed. Um, so Julie, you said that you were diagnosed at 18. How many years had you had your period when you were diagnosed? Seven years. Seven years. Yep. Okay. And um, what happened in that time? Did you, were you seeing doctors? Were you, uh, were you being misdiagnosed? What, what did they think was going on with you? Yeah. So I remember going to the doctor every so often, I think at least once a year. Um, and when I first got my period, my mom told me that, oh, when she got hers, she had hers the first month, the second month, she didn't have one and then have had gotten hers ever since but I was running into a problem where I would not have a period for months on end and then I would get one and it would be really really heavy and very miserable um and we talked to we brought it up to all the doctors that we saw like hey like we don't really know what's going on like this doesn't seem normal and then they would always say oh well when you first get your period it's kind of weird sometimes inconsistent things happen like that but once three or four years went by, five years went by, we kept saying like, oh, what's going on? They're like, yeah, you're just getting your period. It's like, no, no, no. I've had it for several years at this point. Like, right. what's going on? And then when I was 18, I gained a lot of weight uh, my first semester of college. Uh, gained that good old freshman 15. And right. Didn't have a period for like the longest time. Like I think it was like six months went by wow. without a period. And I was like, okay, this is not normal. And I know I'm not pregnant. Um, so then that's when the doctor was like, oh, you probably have PCOS. And we were like, oh, what's that? So that's, and then I went to a couple of doctors after that who were actually like, yes, you have it. And they were able to help me a little bit from there. But it, yeah, it wasn't until I gained a lot of weight that they were able to actually identify what the problem was. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. Um, Lori, what was your journey in, in getting your fibroids um, diagnosed? 
Ah, uh, yeah. So there was two different instances of fibroids that were pretty different from one another. Um, and I, I'd always had something of a heavy period and, and clotting. And I think it may, maybe I'd had fibroids already, but they weren't really being problematic. So the first time I realized I was having a problem with fibroids was right around the time after I turned 30 and they were growing very quickly. So mm. by the time I had an operation on the fibroids, they were the size of a six month pregnancy. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> it was, it was in a sense, very obvious. Um, and the doctor, well, actually the first doctor who found the fibroids was an OBGYN or, uh, well, I don't know. She, she didn't do baby delivery, but um, my gynecological doctor basically freaked out <laughs> when she wow. found out what I had. And she oh. started talking about like the surgery and, and that, oh, she'd do it this way. She was talking about going in from the back. Anyway, what she's talking and I'm like, there's no way I'm letting you near me. <laughs> I don't think you know what you're doing. <laughs> and I was very fortunate because another friend of mine had had a chocolate cyst um, and she had had to get it operated on. And so she was seeing a reproductive endocrinologist, which a lot of people don't realize you can go see for a lot of times. The only time people see a reproductive endocrinologist is if they, they want to get IVF or they want to get pregnant. Right. Um, but there's, there's reproductive endocrinologists whose job is to repair and do things with the uterus. Mm -hmm. So she referred me to a doctor who was able to remove the fibroids. And so I had a myomectomy. And the myomectomy, there's a lot of different ways to do that, but um, a lot of, like a full-time surgeon who does it will often say that when you have serious fibroids, they, it's an open, they give you a bikini cut as if you were having a, um, a baby with the C-section. Okay. And they remove the fibroids because then they can feel the muscle, the difference between your uterus and the fibroid. Because really the fibroid is one of your uterine muscles growing like crazy or um, whatever the case, in my case, growing like crazy. So that doctor told me that at the rate that it was doubling because I hadn't had them and they, their growth rate was pretty high. So he recommended I get the surgery pretty quickly. So that when you get a myomectomy where you they cut you open, it's mm -hmm. about a six week recovery. And that in that case, I'd, every moment of the six weeks was recovery. Because if you imagine that big of a fibroid, they're attached to your uterus, so they have to cut all over the place. So right. Right. I was healing for the full six weeks. And so I prayed to God or whoever's listening, please don't ever give me big fibroids again. <laughs> and they didn't. I did not get big fibroids again. I started bleeding like crazy. <laughs> Oh Lord! I bled. Oh, no. Yes. So it just started where I was having really heavy one week, and then it it kind of got to two weeks, and then I was worried because the surgeon had helped me the first time, had to go move east, so I didn't know who I go, could go see. So oh. I was trying to, you know, take herbal teas. <laughs> I was trying all sorts of right. random things, trying to avoid. Uh, and my my gynecologist, who is the new one, who she's very lovely. She was trying to give me different um, things. She tried uh, uh, hormone, you know, just taking birth control that didn't work. And then she did give me a, a shot where the estrogen goes away. And so I had two months or so it was beautiful. And then I got off that and she tried uh, Depo-Provera, which turned out to be a very bad idea because then you're giving yourself too much progesterone. 
Right. So by the time I actually got to see another reproductive endocrinologist, I was probably bleeding for the whole three weeks and oh. really heavy. Wow. So I was filling filling the overnight pads. Right. And so I saw one reproductive endocrinologist who I, I wanted to see one who seemed really good with hormones. And he's like, um, there's really not a lot we know about <laughs> fixing fibroids with hormones, but um, mm. you probably know, need to go see Dr. Malad. And Dr. Malad is full-time. That's all he does is the fibroid surgery. Lovely, lovely man. And uh, he said, he kind of went through everything with me. He's like, well, you, these are the options women normally have. And he went in this one and he said, you can't do that one because of this. And da, 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 you can't do that one because of that. And you can't do this either. So I would recommend that you have a myomectomy and I'd like to see you next week. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yes. You wanted to see me right away. It, it probably was darn serious. It was. And um wow. When I called his scheduler lady, I saw, I heard her hair stand on end when I said he wants to see me next week. She's like, I'll get back to you. (laughs) (laughs) I think she went and moved heaven and earth and she was able to get me in two weeks later. So it was two weeks. But even with that, I ended up in the emergency room once between him asking me. So I didn't know if you wanted to hear that story yet or if we wanted to talk a bit more about Julie's. PCOS yeah. experiences. Yeah. Let's let's um let's let's save that um, okay. for uh for yeah near towards the end with treatment stuff. So just a, a mm-hmm. couple of like background things about fibroids. Um, they're non-cancerous cancerous growths of the uterus. Um, they're also called leiomyomas. So when you say myomectomy, it's essentially the Greek way or the Latin way of saying removing a myoma. Um, luckily, uh, they are not associated with ca- an in- increased risk of cancer. They never develop themselves into cancer or so the Mayo Clinic says. Mm-hmm. Um, they range in size uh, from tiny little indetectable to the human eye, uh, little tiny seedlings, um, but they, as you said, uh, they can grow to quite majestic size. Um, and they are very prevalent. Most women will have fibroids of some size at some point during their lives, but they may be small enough and, and not cause any symptoms um, so that you don't even notice that you have them. You know, I might have them right now, but luckily, as my mother used to say, um, mm-hmm. you know, they are not, they're not causing me any trouble. So we're living happily uh, together. Um, the symptoms of uh, uterine fibroids, heavy menstrual bleeding, menstrual periods lasting more than a week, pelvic pressure or pain, frequent urination, difficulty urinating, uh, backache or leg pains, constipation. Uh, Those are the more common symptoms. Um, It can also be incredibly painful when it grows to a size, when it starts, um, as yours did, when it starts moving organs around to make room for itself. Right. Yeah. And it can Um, make some women have difficulty getting pregnant because the fibroids interfere. Right, right because they they take up space in the uterus. Um, They grow within the uterine wall. 
um, and they will often bulge into the uterine cavity itself. So um, yes, they can cause um, difficulty getting pregnant. And um, I'm not sure, but I would imagine if you did get pregnant and you had invasive fibroids, it may cause issues, pain during the pregnancy. They can grow once you get pregnant. The hormones can cause them to grow. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, And of course, uh, you know, medical science being what it is, doctors don't really know what causes fibroids and what, um, you know, makes some of them dangerous, some of them invasive, some of them not. Um, So we're going to swing back around here to PCOS. Similarly, the symptoms of PCOS are regular periods. Um, And you may get cysts around your ovaries. So you may get what what is called polycystic ovaries. Um, So uh, you may grow cysts in your ovaries, which causes them to function irregularly, right? Um, So you get, sometimes you will not get eggs released when it's time for your period. And uh, that can, you know, will mess up your regular menstrual cycle. Um, In terms of frequency, uh, again, they say that about uh, 10% of women um, have PCOS globally. Um, And now I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to talk about this a little bit, Julie, because you have personal experience, but on the research that I was doing, there was so much talk about overweight and obesity, Mm -hmm. um, as being, you know, inter intricately linked with PCOS and that gaining weight, um, or being obese is a factor in it developing. Yes. But it also seems to me that it is a symptom as well. So gaining weight can, can help to bring PCOS on, but PCOS can also bring about weight gain. Exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of a vicious cycle there. Um, The exact causes of PCOS are unknown. So what what we find um, in researching a lot of different conditions that have to do with women, if uh, doctors don't really know what causes it or how to treat it, they say, why don't you lose some weight? Um, my friend Kimberly, who has had all sorts of, of medical issues stemming from a botched hysterectomy, um, is fond of joking that if she walked into a uh, doctor's office with a spike sticking out of her head, uh, <laughs> the first thing they would say to her was, have you considered losing some weight? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, I am when it when something says, you know, one of the major factors of this disease is, you know, weight gain, I am immediately suspect that that is a really convenient go to um, for the medical yeah. establishment to say, we don't know what causes this. So why don't you just use some weight? Right. Yep. Also, yeah. they, they ignored my mother's heart condition because they said, you're just having trouble breathing because you need to lose some weight. Right. But she turned out to be 90% blocked in the Widowmaker spot. Oh, but they were yeah. checking it because she was overweight. Right. So that was why she was having trouble breathing. So of they course. do it everywhere. 
Of course. Yes. If women would just lose some weight, <laughs> right, their jobs would be so much easier. And I really wonder, like, I should, I should make a concerted effort to talk to um, some men that I know that are overweight of all different ages and ask if they get the same treatment when they go to the doctor. I'd be really curious if it's a, if it's sort of a, just a fat bias in general, or if it is specifically gender related. Um, I have my theories, but uh, I have no evidence to, to stick to them other than circumstantial. So I won't That's make a good announcement, yeah. but yeah, I'd be curious. I'd be curious. That would be a fun research project. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so uh, PCOS, um, genetics are believed to play a role. So this can be an inherited condition. Um, and it is a hormonal imbalance. Um, so in, in the androgens, which are considered quote unquote male hormones, even though of course women have them in their body too. Um, so all women produce small amounts of androgens, but people with PCOS have more androgens than normal, which can prevent ovulation and make it difficult to have regular menstrual cycles. The follicles will grow and build up fluid, but the eggs do not get released. And so therefore ovulation does not occur. Um, so women with PCOS also produce excess estrogen. Um, so a buildup of the uterine lining can happen um, when excess estrogen is released, but, uh, but an egg is not released from the ovary in order to shed that lining. Um, and so unlike uh, uterine fibroids, PCOS does come with an increased risk of uterine cancer. Um, and then another hormone that is implicated in PCOS is insulin. Um, so there's where our, our overweight and obese component comes in because um, increased androgen creates insulin resistance. Increased estrogen can also contribute to insulin resistance, and that brings on um, weight gain. So... That all that said, um, one of the myths of PCOS is that if you lose weight, it'll go away. That's not true. <laughs> I wish it's not true. Exactly, um, and it's it's not a rare condition. Five to ten percent of women of childbearing age have PCOS, and that does not include women who are undiagnosed. So that's about five million women which makes it one of the most common endocrine disorders in uh, women of childbearing age, or people of childbearing age, I should say. Um, you can get pregnant with PCOS, um, but uh, again, you know, you can, similar with the fibroids, it can cause um, extra difficulties um, with uh, getting pregnant and keeping the pregnancy. So, um, so Julie, let us know a little bit more about what you went through once you were diagnosed. How did they try to treat it? Uh, was it effective? Um, all that kind of thing. Yeah. So the first thing that they did 
because I had gained so much weight and at, was at the point where I was, quote, pre-diabetic, mm-hmm. they put me on metformin, which is very commonly diagnosed or given to people with diabetes. And they also put me on birth control. Uh, the birth control helps regulate periods that I was having them every month. And the metformin was given as an excuse saying like, oh, because it's so hard for you to lose weight. Given because of the PCOS, the metformin will help you lose it. I, you know, I can't really prove that it did or it didn't. All that I remember about metformin is that it gave me really bad diarrhea, um, like clockwork every morning at 10 o'clock. And it gave me super awful stomach aches. And um, my dad was actually diagnosed with diabetes. And he, when I said the word metformin to him, he like tensed up and was like, Ooh, I, that's not my favorite medication either. So, um, Yikes. Yeah, Yikes. I, thankfully this, the semester I returned, uh, to college after I was diagnosed, I did get, lose the 15 pounds. Um, but then for a year or two, I was like still trying to lose weight, but I didn't really think anything was coming off. Um, and I was still on birth control, so I was having those periods like regularly until like my senior year of college when they kind of just stopped. And my doctor was like, oh, well, it's pr- there's probably no blood up there anymore, so you don't really need to be on it. But then I, after that, had gained another 15 pounds again. Mm. Um, and then by then I had moved to L.A., so I was like, oh, let me find a new OBGYN. Um, and I told her up front, like, hey, I have PCOS. Um, this is like my first time getting a period in like a really long time and it's like super heavy, like what's going on. Um, and she was incredibly dismissive. Uh, she, it was so awful because at one point she was like squeezing my stomach and she was like, oh yeah, you could really lose some weight, honey. Oh my God. Yep. And I was just like, uh, yes, I would love to like, wow. I literally have this condition that makes it extra hard to lose weight. Yes, I would love to just take that off of me. If you want to do that for me, please do. Like, you know, <laughs> feel free. So, yeah. And then so you I, really, I you really think <laughs> pleasing my stomach could help. Yeah. Dear Lord. Yeah. So she said, oh, you need to come in for some blood work. So I did. And then she gave me a call a couple days later. and was like, oh, by the way, you have PCOS. And I was like, oh my goodness. yes, I know this. I told you this. I could have told you this. Holy like, crap. Yeah, so I um after that I was kind of like, you know what? Like I kind of don't her. trust I don't really trust doctors right now or yeah. specifically OBGYNs. I don't really trust them right now. Yeah. I need to take this into my own hands. So I went to I hired a personal trainer. I told him the situation. He wasn't really familiar with PCOS, but he helped implement an exercise and diet plan. Um, for me, that really, really worked because um, the exercises, they weren't too hard, but mm-hmm. they were still like enough to challenge me. And um, from what I've heard, like doing workouts that are too heavy actually makes your PCOS worse. Okay. Um, so it was like a perfect balance uh, of, of workouts. And then the eating plan that he put me on, I would say, is a, is very similar to a paleo diet. Um, okay. It's a lot of veggies. Uh, a lot of food that you needed to like make and prep for yourself. Um, so that way you were kind of a little more conscious about the amount you were eating. And then within six months or so, I lost 25 pounds. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. Congratulations. Th- thank you. And that was like the most weight I had ever lost. It had actually stayed off. And it was the only thing that had actually ever ended up working for me in terms of like treating my PCOS. And then I think I didn't step on the scale for a really long time after that. But the next time I checked, I had lost 50 pounds. Ooh, wow. Yeah. Wonderful. And, and I was getting regular periods, but there was still some lingering like symptoms there. Um, mm-hmm. For example, because uh, I have, I'm producing more of like the the male hormone. Mm-hmm. I have a lot more body hair than the average woman does, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. still there. But I've thankfully found a, a much better way that I of a, a treatment that works for me, Great. and is like it helping me to get those regular periods. Great, great. So. And during that time, you, you never had a. I'm sorry. I no, you never go ahead, had Laura. this burst or anything like that because that's something that happens to people with PCOS sometimes. The cyst can burst and it's incredibly painful from what I understand. No, I didn't I did not have that unless it happened to be like a really bad period that where the cyst burst, but I to my knowledge I did not have that. Good. Good. Spared that at least. So during that time that you were essentially taking matters into your own hands, did you go to any other OB-GYNs or did you just stay away and and try, you know, and just take care of it yourself? Yeah, I just stayed away and took care of it myself. Wow. Wow. That took some uh, internal fortitude. Oh, yeah. 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 And I'm really glad you found something that worked for you because Me too. Um, it is, it's, it can be a really difficult path. Definitely. Um, and treatment, it really is not a one size fits all kind of yes. problem. Amen. Um, I am part of, I'm a pretty active member of the PCOS Reddit and it's, a, it's probably one of the best forums of Reddit because everyone's for the most part is very positive and it's just really, just really great hearing how people have been able to overcome or become pregnant um, and people just finding their own treatments or things that work for them. So nice, yeah. nice. Yeah, I am. I'm on uh, several um, menopause uh, groups on Facebook that are that are have been really helpful to me. If nothing else, just for um, you know, just for fellow feeling, understanding that there are other people out there that are going through the same thing that you're going through. Um, you know, makes you feel less alone. And definitely, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Lauren, you wanted to ask a question? Yes. I was wondering, uh, Julie, did you find that in part of your diet is trying to eat more organically help? Because I've heard people speculate that the hormones in meat or the chemicals in food can make the hormones imbalance of PCOS and other conditions worse. Did you find that there was anything like that involved in changing your uh, health and diet? So I, one of the things I did with my diet was I stopped eating red meat, um, unless it was grass fed. Uh, I didn't really go out of my way to seek grass fed beef or anything like that. Um, Mm -hmm. and when I go to a restaurant, I'm not gonna be like, is your, if is your beef, is it grass fed? Like, that's not something I feel like a lot of servers would actually know the question to. Um, but yeah, I mostly just ate like chicken and then turkey um, and then I feel like the occasional fish as well. Um, so I kind of like the fats and the hormones and in red meat. Um, yeah. I haven't like put that in my body for a really long time. And yeah. then also just like the influx of, of vegetables and then 
car- carbs that are what's the word complex yes yes thank you so like oatmeal brown rice quinoa mm-hmm. that's most of the carbs that i eat right yeah mm-hmm. did you see anything about that because you're hooked into these reddit boards did you see any discussions about hormones in food specifically in meats on the not, on the boards not a ton mm-hmm. um yeah i don't really remember seeing a lot okay. about it interesting interesting it's a good question, Lauren. I wonder if there's any work being done out there um, on that in the scientific realm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I definitely have heard people I know who are more naturally focused talk about thinking there is a connection between the hormones and and meats and the chemicals in some of the less organic foods. Yeah, making yeah. that making our chem- hormone imbalances worse. Right, and and that can lead to a whole variety of of issues. Um, with, you know, the reproductive system and just, just systems in general. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, so are you feeling Julie, like you're at a point where you're, you're at a good place with your PCOS? I will say that once the pandemic started, it was a lot harder to stick to my diet because I had no concept of time. Yes. And when I, uh, when the grocery stores were being like raided by, everyone and everything was being overbought like a lot of the food that I normally bought wasn't actually there so I kind of got off of it and then I started a job last September and then the current job I'm I'm on as well they buy food for people every day Um, and it is hard just because like I in a a perfect world I would love to like you know take the time to prepare my own food but because it's like a 60 sometimes more hour work week there's just really no time Um, but I've been, I think with the current job that I'm on, I've been able to pretty much like stick to really healthy food. And a lot of the people in the office, like really prefer healthier food. So it's been a little easy, but, um, yeah, I think, I think I, I am starting to get back into that flow again. Um, yeah. And you, and you can notice a direct correlation. It sounds like. Oh yeah. Cause, uh, yeah. Yeah. My periods became irregular. I think at the top of the pandemic, and then I think after, a couple months after my last job had started. Yeah. Yeah. It's diff- the entertainment industry can be, can be incredibly abusive in so many ways. Oh yeah. Yeah. And the long hours and the yeah lack of access to good food is definitely a couple of those ways. So yeah. Yeah. It makes it more difficult. So Lauren, let's, uh, let's, go back to where you left off and mm-hmm. tell us uh, tell us more about your journey. Yeah. So like I said, it's the same thing with the doctor. When you find the right doctor, there's a feeling of safety. Like, oh, this you just know it. It's almost like your body. You feel it in your body. Like, oh, this, this doctor knows what they're doing. Right. And even if, you know, even if it's still a question of, anything could happen when you have a surgery, you just know that they're going to do everything they can for you. And because of that, because my first doctor for the fibroids wasn't available anymore, I was um, feeling really unsure about how to, how I didn't really want to get exposed to another doctor that scared me and made me (laughs) want to run out of the office. Right. Right. Yeah. So in theory, I wanted to try to, because I, I always suspected there was a hormone imbalance, and if you could figure out 
how to do something about it, you could potentially help yourself. But Mm -hmm. there really isn't that much out there about, you know, how to get yourself back into balance. There's things, but nothing was really working. And I was also in a very stressful period of time at my job that was very busy. Um, So, but the more I bled, I mean, it was... (laughs) It was amazing. I was still walking around, really. Whenever I had a short period of time where I wasn't bleeding, I'd recover pretty quickly where I, you know, feel like, okay, I feel like I have some energy again. Um, And then luckily, I mean, my mom was pushing me a little bit too, like, you just need to go see a doctor. Yeah. And, uh, but it's interesting. A lot of the women I heard, a lot of times they will push women to have, just just to have a hysterectomy. which is very interesting because you know if a man had a problem with his testicle, they wouldn't say, I'll just cut it off. They'll be fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right. But we'll just take you those out of that uterus. You know, what do you care? <laughs> like, you know what? Every woman knows they have a uterus because it bleeds every month. We know we have a uterus. It's not right. like because we can't see it. We don't know what what's going on. Right, um, right. So the Dr. Malad, he's at Northwestern. He's wonderful, wonderful man. Um, you, I got to him and I was like, oh, he, he wants to help me. You know, his whole goal is just he wants you to be healthy. And, um, you know, he went over options. Because if you have fibroids, you could get, um, there's a radiology uh, treatment where they reduce the blood flow to the fibroid to get it to, to shrink. And that mm-hmm. he said, that's not bad. But if you think you want to have children, it's never a great idea to reduce the blood flow to your uterus. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. And then there's the sometimes uh, this was maybe 10 years ago. So things could have changed. But there's this thing they used to do where they go and like, blow up the fibroid. <laughs> and the problem with <gasps> that is if there's any uterus, uterine cancer in there, it can just spread all over your uterus, right? Wow. So that's not a good, yes, right? So I'm not sure if they're still doing that, but he told me you don't really want to do that one because if, you, so if there's no cancer, fine. But if you say, he said, say you have a little bit of cancer and then you spread it all over your uterus instead of um, fixing it properly. So there's a certain amount of people can do a certain kind of automated where they just go in and cut it. But then he said, you can't feel the difference between the uterus wall and the fibroid it's really best to go in there and feel that. Um, so he's pretty much full time. He'll do by hand fibroid surgery and that's, that's all he does. And if, if you want a hysterectomy, he'll do a hysterectomy for you if that's what you want, but that's not what his first suggestion is, you know, he'll, he'll try to help you. So, um, and I know a lot of women don't even know you can go to a reproductive endocrinologist. Um, you know, it's not like if you have a simple fibroid, a gynecological surgeon probably can do something, but it's not like a reproductive endocrinologist who knows that's their, their whole goal is to make, to make sure you're fertile when you're done. Mm-hmm. So there, as a byproduct, you end up with someone who understands what needs to happen with your uterus. Yeah. So, um, but even so I, I was bleeding so much by that point. Um, I probably just wasn't stopping. So Mm. Uh, just, I don't think there was any pause any longer. And so the one day I just had a big episode where, and, and also, um, birth control didn't really seem to work. I don't, I don't, but birth control and I don't get along very well. <laughs> like okay. it's always, it always makes me feel bad. Like I, I always, I haven't, I never found a birth control pill that really fit, that didn't make me feel like I didn't agree with my body or didn't agree with me. 
Right. When um, you say so birth control, you're talking oral contraceptives. Oral so birth th- control. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Things that mess so with I your hormones. So I never found one that, that really, so that, I know that works for some women, but it didn't, yeah. didn't seem like that was going to help me. Um, so the one day, it was like a Friday, I was, I bled so much that like I had an empty pad. It was full within a minute and it, the blood ran down my leg. Oh my God. Into my sock. That's how much I bled. (laughs) So I went to the emergency room and that was a very, that was exactly what we talk about with ignoring women and women's issues Mm -hmm. because I was just laying in a, in one of the rooms bleeding and nobody came back to check up on me for hours and hours. And they, yes, they sent me to get an ultrasound and they give you these, they had put these big pads, like these, uh, three foot by four foot by four foot pads. And I filled several of them full of blood. And, uh, when I got to the ultrasound, the lady's like, Oh my God. So she's trying to help me <laughs> put new pads on top of it. So I, you know, cause I'm just full of blood. Oh my and, God. Uh, she, yeah. So she just, she did her thing, but she was trying to help me, but she's just the ultrasound tech. I was right. there for hours. And if you were bleeding like that out of an, out of your arm, <laughs> if there right. was a cut, Right. And the emergency would never leave you there. And I felt like I had, I was in that space where they ignore women, you know, that yeah. there's this energy to it almost, you know, where there's a sense that um, you're not seen, you know, mm-hmm. you're not attended to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so eventually I think my mom went out and yelled at people and got somebody in. And then I went up to the um, to the room and they gave me some blood. I got two units of blood, but I think at that point I lost so much blood. It, one of my coworker friends told me that she's like, Oh yeah, when I got two units of blood, it was great. I'm like, I don't feel like that. Cause I think I've really lost a lot of blood by that point. So I just sort of like my mom, my mom I live with my mom and my sister. My mom was just stuffing me with steak and spinach every time I turned around. <laughs> trying to get iron back into me. I felt like I was a yeah. bird that opened my mouth <laughs> and spinach and steak would be going. <laughs> she's like, she's like, I was just trying to get you to the surgery. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I was just trying yeah. to get you to the surgery. And then I went and had the surgery and I think it was three or four smaller fibroids um, that were just bleeding a lot. And um, I felt good the moment the surgery was over. Um, I felt wonderful. That, you know, like oh. the first surgery was a lot harder, I think, because the fibroids were so big, they were just attached to everything. So I think okay. there were a lot of incisions. And then the second time, I, I literally felt wonderful compared to when I went into surgery. Um, and Good. then um, my doctor, Dr. Malad suggested I go on birth control and I tried that, but then I got an allergic reaction. And so then he suggested an IUD. And uh, the research at the time, he said, indicates the type of wall growth you have that it should keep it at bay. And I wasn't really keen on getting IUDs because I knew about the first time they had them and all the problems women women had had with uh, the one that was... I don't don't know the name of that one, but... So I was like, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yes. So there was... People lost their uteruses, people lost babies, all sorts of things. So I was like, I thought about it and I, I knew because I trust my doctor that he was he was suggesting it from what he knew of the research and that it would be good. So I talked to him, he's like, I do think it would help you. And he's like, and whenever you want it out, you just come to the office and we just take it out. <laughs> you know? So um, 
that worked. So I haven't had fibroids since I've had the IUD. Not he che- I go get checked every once in a while. My uterine wall looks good. Um, the first I had M- Moderna, Mirena, M- Mirena. Uh, <laughs> I should know. I think it's the same as the the um, the. I think it's Moderna, but. The first one I thought didn't agree with me completely. I ended up getting more migraines. I ended up getting some of the ocular migraines. I know I heard you talk about that. Yes, but that was yeah. Me. I didn't get ocular migraines before. I'd get them once or twice a month, but compared to bleeding like crazy, I was like, oh, that's that's okay. <laughs> I can have a migraine. I'm, I'm all right with that. But the <laughs> second IUD, which I got last year, I don't know. It just feels like it agrees with me really well. Um, so that's working. I haven't, I haven't gotten fibroids back since, since I did that. Fabulous. Fabulous. So a long journey, but you're at a place now where you feel like yeah. you're, everything's balanced. And I'm very grateful to have my uterus. I, I know a lot of women who it, it's like for some of them, it was such a blessed relief to get mm-hmm. the hysterectomy because things had been so difficult for them. Yes. And not everyone's blessed with, with good insurance for, for getting a myomectomy, which is a full surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really feel like women don't always get honored in that way. Mm-hmm. where they get to keep their uterus, even if you don't want to use it to have babies. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that you just want to have your uterus because it's yours. Mm-hmm. I feel that that is a reclamation that women are trying to do now, you know, to say, yes, I, I deserve to have treatments that help me keep my uterus, that it's something I want to have. Um, also mm-hmm. honoring women who decide that they, they want to, be healed this other way by having a hysterectomy, mm-hmm. also honoring those women as well. But it it feels like that is something that needs to happen in the medical industry, that they need to change that paradigm around. Oh, just, it's not, we're going to take it out. Yeah. You know, it's not a big deal. Yeah. It's, it's, a, you know, it's a major organ. It's like, well, your mm-hmm. heart's not working. Let's just take it out. <laughs> yes. You know, it's, yes. it's, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, and it involves a whole bunch of things further down the line. Like if you get a hysterectomy when you're when premenopausal, uh, you know, mm-hmm. when you hit menopause, uh, going through menopause with a uterus and going through menopause without a uterus can be um, can be very different experiences. And so, I feel like there isn't, you know, the long term discussion uh, mm-hmm. with women in terms of you know. Do you want to take this major step of having an entire organ removed from your body? Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, women who do make the decision and feel like it's the greatest thing that ever happened to them. Yes, exactly. You know, different bodies, different solutions. There is, as Julie said, there is no one size fits all. Um, And I also feel that um, as a shamanic healer, from my perspective, some of these illnesses we have in our uterus have to do with the way that our society feels that they have possession over a uterus, that there's Mm. almost like energetic hooks that are attached to the uterus. And then the illness comes from that. So, you know, people talk about epigenetics, which is specifically genetic, Mm -hmm. but I, I have found when I'm healing people that the body carries trauma from the history of 
of women's experiences or their experiences. When I found out recently that African-American women are experiencing fibroids at a just much higher rate. Some of, I heard somebody's low as early as 14. Oh, and boy. you think about Oof. how slavery, how, how slave owners owned the woman, that woman's uterus and sold their, their children off to, mm -hmm. to other places. And the injury of that yes. at a psychic level, I think can show itself as a physical injury. And I think some of what women are going through, it's, you know, the imbalance of society and how we eat, but also just, I think we're all carrying around unhealed trauma from the women who just had to keep going in the patriarchal society. Yep. And, um, yeah, it's... patriarchy harms everyone. Patriarchy harms <laughs> everyone. It really oh, does. Yeah. And we carry those scars. And um, yeah, yeah, I had another thought, but it went away. It <laughs> went away. Maybe it'll come back. Um, so uh, do you, either of you, both of you have um, some advice that you'd like to pass along to women who may be having similar issues, either diagnosed or undiagnosed, um, that, uh, you know, your experience in this journey might help to illuminate um, other women's experiences? Hmm. I, I would say, go find a doctor if you can, who specializes in your condition. And not, and if someone says something that makes you feel afraid or unheard, that really is the wrong doctor for you. And a lot of times women or men will stay with a doctor, but when you find the right doctor, it's like I said, your body feels safe. You just mm. have the sense that this person is, I don't know, fully present and fully knowledgeable of your situation and that they're going to do the best they can. Dr. Malad, I remember he's just a lovely man. When he saw that the IUD was working, he was so happy for me. Aww, <laughs> he was nice. so happy for me. It was like I made his day. And he started a separate department because the reproductive endocrinology department, he said women were calling with serious issues in the reproductive endocrinology department is for, oh, you want to have a baby. And he's like, they they wouldn't be able to get through. So he set, created a separate department for women who have serious gynecological conditions so that there would be a, a framework around the mm -hmm. issues and so that they could call on the weekend and say have an emergency and get to the right person. Um, that's someone who cares. And yeah. when you find someone who cares, you're in it with them. You're not isolated and alone trying to figure it out on your own. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I definitely, I, I agree. I think I maybe went a little rogue when it comes to doctors, but I would say, <laughs> I would <laughs> okay. say like, yeah, I mean, if you go to a doctor and they are not there to listen to you or at least have an open mind, like, oh, let's try this. And if it doesn't work out, we can try something else. Then yes, find another doctor who will. Uh, but also I would encourage you to find a community. Um Yes. Have people who have a similar condition to you because one, it's not only great to just hear their stories and maybe get some like other treatment ideas, but it just gives you the assurance that you're not alone. 
um, and that you're not the only one who is being dismissed or is going through this. Mm -hmm. And I would also say, uh, you know, I know that there are doctors out there who really resent people doing their own research because, you know, <laughs> then they come into their office with questions and, and, uh, you know, and there's a lot of misinformation out there on the oh, internet, yeah. of course. Um, but regardless of <clears throat> whether or not it makes your doctor uncomfortable or impatient, um, you do your own research. And that involves both of those things, you know, finding, finding, going out on the internet, but also finding community and getting personal stories. Uh, you know, it is quote unquote anecdotal evidence in terms of scientific studies, but it can help you to illuminate uh, the situation as a whole. It can help you to know what questions to ask when mm. you when you are in the presence of a of an expert. Um, and, you know, as Julie discovered, it can also help you to find potential solutions that have nothing to do with our medical industry. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, you can take your care into your own hands as well. Um, and if that works for you, then that's amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to say that I, I remembered, ta-da, <laughs> is um, the public versus private nature of women's bodies, right? Mm -hmm. That um, women's bodies, including their uteruses, are still very much seen by our society as public property. That mm -hmm. other people get to have a say in how you function in your own body. And, um, and that's bullshit. Your yeah. body, your body is yours. You get to make the final decisions about it. And, um, you know, you find people who support you on your journey rather than turning your life over to someone who thinks that they know more about you and your body than you do. You know, you're the only one who's lived in your body since day one. So you're the expert. You're the expert. That's right. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, giving us your time and uh, sharing your experiences with us. Um, it's been, it's been an, an incredible uh, talk. I've, I've learned so much and um, I hope that our listeners also um, have learned a little something. And if they have issues that relate to these two, to fibroids and PCOS that they, you know, are, I hope you all out there in radio land um, uh, are a little bit more illuminated. So yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. And yeah, thanks. Um, thanks Sam and Julie. I appreciate, appreciated the chance to talk about this. Yeah. Oh, thank yeah. you. You bet. You bet. Um, so thank you everyone. And um, have a, wonderful rest of your day and blessed be.